the sermon that I had prepared for this evening. It might sound a little bit familiar, just a little bit, if you were at the statewide service we had on Sunday. Ilya was talking about worship, and I won't be talking about worship, but in the beginning he was talking about the priesthood, how we Christians are a royal priesthood. And that's what I wanted to start with first, because where I wanted to read from kind of won't make sense if you just read it from, because I wanted to read from Malachi. If you say, oh, those priests were the Old Testament priests, those aren't us, I want you to say, no, this is for me, I can take something from this. So the first place I wanted to read from is going to be 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, starting from verse 9, I'll read till verse 10. It says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Just the first place I wanted to read from, we are now a royal priesthood. You and I, like Ilya said, if you were there on Sunday, are now priests before God, male or female, boy or girl, young or old. As a Christian, you are now considered a royal priesthood. You can come before God as that priest. And knowing that, now I wanted to turn to Malachi chapter 1. This is Malachi chapter 1. The reason, once again, why we read that first place was that in Malachi chapter 1, the prophet is talking towards the priests of Israel. But if you read this and you say, I am also a priest, this may connect with you, this will connect with you. And this is Malachi chapter 1, starting from verse 6. It says this, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence? says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? And then from there, I want to skip to verse 13. You also say, oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord, but cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations." And once again, if you read this, not knowing anything about the priests or not in a sense putting yourself into there, you'll kind of be like, what does this have to do with me? But back during this time, Israel was going through a phase where the priests were offering God garbage. God gave them a service and he told them, this is how you will serve me. This is the formula. This is the procedure. Kind of like what Ilya said on Sunday. This is what you offer to me. This is what you owe me. And I'll be pleased when you do it like this. And one of those things was to offer animals, to offer animal sacrifices for your sin. We don't have to do that anymore. We have Jesus Christ as our last sacrifice. But for them, they had to offer those sacrifices. That was their duty. That was their covenant. And that was their promise with God. That if they did these things, God would bless them. But the Israelites had begun to stumble. They began to sin. And they no longer offered to God what was pleasing. They started offering to God the leftovers, if you could say that. They had, they had everything they needed to give God, but they decided to give Him the lesser quality. They stood before God's presence and they were no longer happy serving God. They were no longer serving Him with the right attitude. They were saying, serving is wearisome. I'm tired of doing this. They started sneering at God's table, at God's church, so to speak. 
And God was not pleased with this. God sees the intention of the heart. It is not enough to do good works. God sees the intentions of the heart. And he saw that in his priests and in his people, they were no longer pleased with serving the Lord. And why I wanted to read from here was because we as Christians can sometimes fall into the same exact trap. We can fall into the same exact attitude where we say, Lord, I am tired. Lord, this is wearisome to me. Lord, I know that I can be giving you more, but I want to give you the last few minutes. I want to, give, I want to squeeze the last few drops for you, and that's it. And I want to say to you, God sees you if you're doing that. God sees the intentions of your heart. And if that is you, God sees you. I want you to know that God sees you. What do I mean? I want to go from my own personal life. I know some days I would come home from work, and I would come home and I would lay in my bed. And I would say, this is good enough prayer place for me. <laughs> you read the Psalms. David meditated on his bed. I can pray on my bed. And so I would, I would come. I would lay on my bed. I'd probably pray for maybe a good minute or two, and I'd just go to sleep. And that was probably what my prayer life was like for many weeks, many months even, for maybe even many years. It was that last kapilka, the last couple minutes of my day was all I offered to God. God is not pleased with that. God knows that you can give more. I know for a long period in my time, the only reading that I gave, the only scripture reading, the only seeking of God's face that I gave him was the verse of the day. I'd read that Bible app, and I would do the verse of the day. And I remember I was so good at it, too. I would come home from work, and like, for some reason, I can't fall asleep. It's 11.57 p.m. Before the midnight, I got to get that one check mark for the day. They do that count nowadays, and I would read the verse of the day, pray for two minutes, and I'd go to sleep. And I would give God the last couple minutes. I'd give him the garbage, the garbage that I had left. And like the Israelites... Like the priests, my attitude was also, Lord, this is wearisome. Lord, waking up Sunday morning at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., I'm tired of that, God. Lord, you saw I worked so much on Saturday. Why can't I have a day off? Lord, you see that I'm a good Christian. I teach in Saturday school. Can't I have at least Sunday morning off? You understand me. It doesn't matter what the people think if they don't see me at church. You know my heart. And I would give God the least, the least, the minimum. I would give God the minimum worship that I thought was good enough. That would just get me by, so to speak. Just enough so that I wouldn't feel stidna, that I wouldn't feel ashamed. I gave God that which was lame, that which was sick, knowing that I could have offered him more. God says at the end of Malachi, he says, Cursed is the one who has he has, he can offer God this sacrifice, but he gives him less instead. He makes a promise to God. He says to God, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to worship you. I want to seek your face. And I can offer you so much, but I'll just give you this last little bit, this last abreska, this last couple minutes, these last few drops that I have. And the Lord sees that. And the Lord is not pleased with that. He is not pleased with it. It's not that he hates us. It's not that we're not going to heaven anymore. But he is not pleased with it. He sees what we are doing. He sees the intentions of our heart. And he understands that. And the next place I wanted to read from was the book of Luke chapter 12. And this is Luke chapter 12, starting from verse 42. And it starts like this. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make rule over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself 
or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. And I don't want you to be scared. I don't want you to hear that verse and go, Ujas, or something like that, to be scared of this verse. But the reality is, to all of us Christians, we will stand before God, and He will judge the works we committed as Christians, not for the sake of salvation. Our salvation is in Christ alone. Our faith is in Christ. He is our salvation. That is not what we will be judged by. We will be judged by what we did as Christians, now as children of God, now as a royal priesthood, now as sons and daughters of God, he will judge us to say, what have you done on this earth? What have you done with my word, with the witness, with the mercy that I have shown you? What have you done? And the reality is that some people will do very little to nothing. There is also a reality that some people will fall away. Some people will abuse this grace that God has given them. And the Lord says, He will see. He will come when we do not expect. For each of us, death will be unexpected. We will not be expecting it. And when we stand before God, we will be held accountable. We will be held accountable. And in some cases, it literally says, some people will be beaten with stripes. I don't understand that. I don't know how that will be once we die. But God has His judgment for the Christian. And He is looking to see, how will you serve me? Will you offer me the lame and the sick, the weary, the broken? Will you serve me with an attitude of, it's so wearisome, I'm so tired of doing this or that, I'm so tired of serving the Lord? Or will you say, I have, I can. I can offer what you're asking for me, God. Lord, I know that you want me to seek you. I will offer you that time, my God. Lord, I know that you want me to pray to you. I will give you more than I have been giving. Lord, I want to be faithful to you when I serve you. And God will see, and God will be pleased, and God will rejoice. And once again, this is not in regards to you're going to lose your salvation if you don't go 100% in, but you should be encouraged to give God your everything. You should be encouraged to serve God. He sees the intentions of the heart. Please understand that. If the attitude is wrong, if the motive is wrong, He sees that. It's not enough to simply do with God. He wants you to do it in love. You will not always feel good doing the things you're supposed to do. It will not always feel good. It will not always be exciting. You will not always feel on fire doing what's right. But God sees the intentions in the heart. He is pleased with that. You no longer have to commit adultery by going and physically committing adultery. If you commit adultery in your heart, God sees it the same way. And in that same exact way, God sees the intent of your worship. He sees what your motive is. He sees if you're doing it for your own glory, for your own self-righteousness, for your own pride. He knows if you're doing it for your parents. He knows if you're just doing it to get everybody off your back. That same way, He knows your intentions. And He wants us to be faithful. And He wants us to be a royal priesthood that gives Him the good, the first fruits, what is healthy, what is best. And our God deserves what is best. Our God deserves what is best. And I think we can just go ahead and pray. And we'll just pray for the rest of the service to glorify God, thank Him for this opportunity to be here, and to just give Him the praise. He deserves the praise. He deserves the worship. Let's stand up. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You, Lord, for this service, Lord, that we could have been anywhere. We could have been at home. We could have been enjoying a park, the weather, Father, our families even, Lord. But You see that we came here instead, my God. We decided that it was worthy and that it was acceptable to come into your presence, to come to your church, and to offer you the praise of our lips, my God, to offer up our prayers before you as a sweet incense, my God. We don't want to give you the lame, my Lord. We don't want to give you the sick offerings. We don't want to give you the last drops, my God. We don't want to squeeze the last bit out for you and to keep the good portion for ourselves, God. We want to be faithful, Lord. We want to serve you knowing, God, that you see the intents of the heart. Lord, knowing, God, that you are pleased when we give you the first fruits, when we give you what you ask of us, my God. We know, Lord, that you've given us salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray, forgive us, my God, when we sin. Cleanse us from our sin, Lord, from all unrighteousness, God. Whatever we do, Father, incorrectly, forgive us, my God. Please, please, please forgive us. Show mercy upon us. 
grace upon us, knowing, Lord, we are not perfect, my God, and we will never be perfect, Lord, while we are here on earth. We will be sanctified. We will be growing in righteousness with you, my God. But I do pray, Father, lead us, my God. Lead us into offering you something that you are pleased with, my Lord, something that you would enjoy, Lord, that when you, the Master, come back, Father, when we are not expecting you, Lord, we would be standing faithful, Lord, at the door, and that you would be pleased, my God. And your word says, when you come back, Father, if we are faithful, you will gird yourself, my God, and you will serve us, Lord. Hallelujah. What a blessing, God. We thank you for the promises in your word and your scripture, Lord. And I pray continue to work in us, continue to guide us and direct us, leading us into all wisdom, all strength, Father, and all glory for your kingdom's sake, my God, for your mercy's sake, Lord. We praise you and we thank you, Lord. Bless the rest of the service. And may you be glorified forevermore in the word, in the singing, God, in the prayers. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to share a story before we start the book of Romans. It was uh, the first time we did a 25-year anniversary. I was on the food line. And... We're standing on the food line. We're giving out food to people. And, and as people are walking by, I think my job was to give them tomatoes and lettuce and do the, the ketchup and whatever else it was. And so after about several hundred people walked on through, there's one brother from the church who looked at his burger, and then he looked at me, and he said, it's not like in the picture. Can you make it prettier? And I told him this. If you don't like how your burger looks, you can stand right beside me and help those and give burgers out and make their burgers pretty. And, and that's long story short. And he smiled and said, no, I don't think so. And he kept on walking. Keep that story in mind tonight, would you? Let's open up to the book of Romans. Book of Romans chapter 12. Again, that's Romans chapter 12. Before we continue reading, I would like to ask you a few questions. What was Alex's, Alex Lobedianik's sermon about last week? Let's have a little review. What was the main topic or the introduction to a study? What was the name of it? What was it called? The theme? Does anyone remember? You can speak openly here, please. Culture. I heard the word culture. Is that true or false? It's true. It's true. Please speak. Okay? Speak a bit louder. I would like to hear you. Feedback is good. Feedback is good because it allows everyone to understand, to remember better, and the preachers to preach more and know what to, to look at, what to uh, uh, preach more about. So feedback is good. Okay, culture. What exactly did he bring up about the culture? The word lust was brought up. What did he say about lust? I'll give you a hint. It's from the book of 1 John. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. And the pride of life, right? And that's found in the book of 1 John, chapter 1 or chapter 2. Does anyone remember? One? I hear one. What did the brothers say? It's chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Okay, what else do you remember from the sermon? We started with the book of Romans chapter chapter 12 verses 1 through what was read out loud? Romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 
8, and I'll continue from 9. But before I continue, I would like to bless you. I would like to continue from verse 3. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. If you have your Bible, please open up. If you do not, you can look at the screen or share with your neighbor. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, if one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now some of these virtues or actions I just listed off are gifts of grace or gifts to the church. Now why does the church have gifts? Here's a question for us. Why does God give gifts to the church? Specifically these ones. What for? Let's look at key verse right above it. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now what does this mean? Any thoughts? That's okay. We'll continue. By, by continuing, this is really what it means. We Christians cannot think of ourselves very highly. Scripture calls us not to think of ourselves higher than my neighbor. Bless you. Now, if I were to think of myself higher than my brother Philip... How would I behave towards him? But he is my brother in Christ. And not only is he my brother in Christ, he is also a member in the body of Christ. Now, God gives gifts to the church so that the gifts are used to encourage the other members within the body of Christ. And it is used to build up members within the body of Christ and to edify the members within the body of Christ. So if I have a gift of teaching or encouraging, as it says here, encouraging is a gift, and I were to come up and encourage Paul, Paul, God bless you for coming to youth tonight. May God always strengthen you. Is that encouraging? Yes. Yes, it is. But if I were to come up to the other Paul, hi Paul, and say, Paul, why did you come to you today? Is that discouraging? Yes or no? It depends. Okay, all of a sudden it's, we're teetery-tottering. So, let's look at it with the first Paul. Thank you, Paul, for letting me use you. Does this build Paul up? Does encouraging one another build each other up in Christ? Yes, it does. What about breaking down? If I were to come up and discourage, would that build within the body of Christ? No, not at all. We look in Scripture, and Apostle Paul, when he spoke to the churches in his epistles, he never discouraged them. He actually encouraged. He spoke sternly. He spoke such things as you ought to be teachers, but you're still drinking milk. You're still spiritual babies. He would use stern language so that they would understand their condition, so that they may grow in Christ. Now let's continue reading here in this passage with verse 9. Before we continue, any questions there? Any thoughts? Yes? No? That's okay. 
Verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thoughts to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Let's go back to verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. We just came back last week from a trip. We went through Grand Canyon and uh, Zion Park. And we finished off the trip with uh, going to focus on the family in Colorado where Dr. James Dobson is. Anyone heard of Focus on the Family? A handful of us. Those who haven't, you should look into it. It's a wonderful Christian organization. Now, they were giving us a tour of their facility, and this young black man was leading us and all our teens through this whole building, and they're showing all the ministries that they are a part of and everything that they're doing. And so this young man is showing us about how they adopt children, how they uh, have intense marriage-saving camps and retreats, and then they do this, and they do this, and they do this. And he got to the last part, and it was about the abortion topic. And he says, every year in the United States, millions of infants are aborted, but... We buy ultrasound machines and we do this and this and we put them in the clinics just to prevent that. And because we began to do this, over 100,000 every year are saved. And he said, all lives matter. All lives are important. All lives matter to God. And he says, and I hope that you are disgusted with the number that you hear about the abortions. It's not just a number. It's millions and millions. And if we really think about it, ever since abortion was legalized in the States, over 50 million were killed, aborted. I think that's the population of Spain twice over. That's a lot. And so right here I see this verse, abhor what is evil. Let love be genuine. And in our culture, in our time, what does it say right now? What does it teach us about love? What does the culture speak to us about love? I sometimes drive our elderly folks, and I go through this uh, route through Tacoma, and every once in a while, if especially if you go around this university, UPS, right, you'll see signs. And these signs are put up on houses, on fences, and they're colorful, rainbow colored. And it says, love is love. And it has a whole bunch of things. I forgot what it all says. You read it, sounds perfect, sounds fine. You look at scripture. You match it up with Scripture, it doesn't match up. It doesn't match up. Now what that matches up with is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. But when Scripture teaches us here, let love be genuine, what does it mean to have true love, genuine love, love that is real? What is that? 
What is the, a genuine love? Because the culture doesn't teach genuine love. So what is it? It's not in the music. It's not on TV. It's not in the movies. What is then genuine love? Let me give you an example of how our date nights sometimes look. On our Colorado trip, we had a free evening. And uh, Katie and I, it was about 9.30, 9.40. We're like, let's go get some food. Everyone's in their places with their counselors. So we took our two kids. We went to a restaurant. They were closing. It was 9.40. They closed at 10 o'clock. We didn't realize until we ordered the food. Uh, they're all vacuuming. They're cleaning everything up. I smell... I look at Jehu, and he exploded with a diaper. I look at Katie, and she, her hands are full with Abner. So I'll take care of Jehu. You take care of Abner. So we shared the workload. I take Jehu. I take his diaper bag and everything. I'll say, I take care of it. So I go to the bathroom, and I open up, and lo and behold, it was the worst change I've ever had in my life. It went everywhere. And I'm limited. I can't give him a bath. So I had to take all his clothes off, and I'm wiping him with all the wipes. And, and I then walk out of the bathroom, and he's just in his diaper and shoes on because I had no clothes for him, and we didn't grab anything. So I'm walking, and one of the waitresses looking at me. She says, oh, he lost his clothes. Yeah, he did. Do you have a plastic bag, please? I need to throw his soiled clothes in there. And so I sit back down, Katie looks at me and says, he exploded, what can I do about it? That's what love, genuine love is. You have to sacrifice. You give yourself up to serve the other so that the other is not burdened because you have to think of the other person more highly than yourself. That's what scripture teaches. And it's not just in a marriage relationship. It's a, in a relationship with all of us here to think of each other more highly than ourselves. It's to serve one another. It's to love each other genuinely. And as Scripture later on says, with a brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. How do we outdo each other in showing honor? It's a good question, but this is very practical. How do we outdo each other? In the body of Christ, we think of others more highly than ourselves, something that the culture in this world does not teach. The culture in this world teaches more for me, more for me, more for me, more for I. But in the body of Christ, it's different. Now it's challenging us to outdo each other in showing honor towards one another. How do we do this? Any thoughts? Ideas? Maybe? Yes? No? How do we show each other honor? And how do we outdo each other? Let me ask you a question. Has there ever been a person in your life that you admire? Okay, next question. Do you have a person in your life that you admire who is godly and you think, I really want to be like that person? Yes? Yeah, I do. I do. Do you have a favorite preacher? Yes? I do. Okay, good. So with that being said, with that being asked, now that you have a picture in your mind, do you think you can outdo that person in showing honor? Yes? No? Maybe? Can you outserve somebody? I think it's very possible. It's very possible. I think yes. I think yes. You could do more for others. And of course, you ask God for strength. You ask Him. But here in the next verse, it says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in the Spirit. What does slothful mean? We're going to go word by word here, as you realized. 
What's slothful? Extremely slow. Extremely slow, right? Yes, absolutely. So, as it says here, do not be slothful in the zeal, but fervent in the spirit, serve the Lord. It pretty much says, don't be slow to serving God, but be zealous to serve God. What does it mean to be zealous? Strongly passionate? Strongly jealous for God? That's a godly jealousy. Not all forms of jealousy are bad. God says he is a jealous God. What does that mean? Do you, does anyone know what that phrase means? When God says, for I am a jealous God? You can answer. Anyone? I heard yes. Yeah? What does it mean? Absolutely, amen. Absolutely. God doesn't want us to serve other idols. In the same way, if you were engaged to your fiancé and your fiancé began to talk to somebody else, would you not be jealous? Would you not say, hello, I'm right here. Talk to me. I want you to talk to me because I want to talk to you. That's the kind of jealousy it is. So that same zeal, with that same zeal to serve God and not think of someone else or something else to serve, but to serve God. And by serving God, you serve one another. By serving one another, you're serving the members in the body of Christ. Let's go on. What does it say? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. I want to pause here. How do you seek to show hospitality? What is hospitality? Anyone? What does it mean to show hospitality? Scripture actually encourages us in other places to show hospitality. Okay, I'll explain to you. If a different youth comes to our church and they need to be taken apart, right? Padamam, like we like to say. And you take someone to your house and you give them your bed and you sleep on the couch, and you give them your food, and you clean up after them, and you give them water because they're thirsty, and you give them tea, are you showing hospitality? Yes. Who here has done that? Raise your hand. If you haven't, I strongly encourage you, and not only I, but Scripture here encourages you to show hospitality. As Christians, we have to. Other Christians come, especially at that time. You take them to your home. It's not just a Facebook friend or Instagram friend. It's an actual person. Hello. And you actually show them real hospitality. Oh, praise God. Okay, we're going to continue verse 14 through 21. I'll read them. Again, once through, and we'll go from there. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, which means very arrogant or very prideful. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. A few weeks ago, I was listening to Dr. James Dobson. And he was interviewing a young gal. She's married already. And uh, she was giving a testimony of her life. 
And Dr. James Dobson mentions this verse, and this is what I remembered and I would like to share with you. At age eight, her parents began to sell her so that photographers can take photos of her to produce child pornographic photos. At age 12, her parents began to sell her body. And by age 21, she ran away. By age 22, she had to run away for the second time. And so she runs away into Colorado, and uh, she's taken into a safe house, and she's rescued, and she's given resources. And the Christian family adopted her in, and took her in, and held her in. And so she stayed with them. And as she went to school and so on, she came to Christ, and, and she now serves the Lord along with her husband. And Dr. Dobson said this one thing. He says, you know, I find it very scary. When people do these kind of things, sin, this evil, especially against children, he says, I don't know how they will stand before God. She spoke nothing about how I want to kill my parents. She said nothing about how they deserve to go to hell. She said nothing about them. And God and Dr. Dobson said, people like that will stand before God on judgment day. And God will say, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. We can imagine how at this time, Apostle Paul, when he spoke and he ministered and he was a missionary to the early Christians at that time, setting up churches in the Gentile regions. And then the Judaic teachers follow him and persecute him and persecute those who followed Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul did not have an easy life. Don't think he did. He was persecuted. He was hated. He was spoken evil of. He was rejected. He was spat at. And at the end, of course, he was killed. He was martyred for Christ. He didn't have an easy life. And after he gave his list of, of, of tr uh, trials that he would go through, that he went through, he says, on top of that, the anxieties of the church that I think about daily that I pray for daily. He cared about the church and the people so deeply. He didn't have an easy life. And the Apostle Paul, when he, he, he went off to the Lord, but when he's speaking to the people here, he's telling them how they ought to behave. And he says, these are marks of a true Christian. You have genuine love. If you, if you do this and if you do this, and we're listing through all of them, you see, in our culture, you'll drive on the I-5 and you'll see a billboard and it has a face of President Lincoln on it and the sign that says, uh, a quote, a house divided cannot stand. Who said those words? Jesus Christ said those words. Abraham Lincoln, the president, quoted Christ in one of his speeches. Now this organization that's not a Christian organization is... Let's throw the words of Christ out because it sounds good. We'll credit it to Abraham Lincoln. And so on the billboard, a house divided cannot stand. That's the culture. They'll take Christian values. They'll take Christian teachings. Apply it to themselves and say, you don't need to be a Christian in order to love, in order to be compassionate, in order to care, in order to do this and this and this, and the list can go on. But we'll minus the part that Christ said, that we'll minus the part that is written in God's Word, we'll minus the part about sin and hell and all of that. Really, that's, that's what it is. I've actually, and you see more and more of it. You see this liberal mindset coming out, the, their whole agenda and everything it sounds nice. Let's share. Let's share everything and no one's going to be rich and everyone's going to have everything in common. In the book of Acts, that's how the church did it. 
But there's such a huge difference. Because in the book of Philemon, here in Philemon, it says these words. And, and uh, Paul wrote to Philemon encouraging him to go back to the master. It says these words, Philemon's verse 14. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. See, the, the culture is saying that everyone should give up what they have and give to those who don't have, and so on and so forth. That's not really what Scripture Scripture's calling us to do that willingly, not out of compulsion. God never, comp uh, never forces us to follow Him. He calls us so that we willingly choose to follow Him. And that's a big difference. That's a big difference. I don't want to continue on in, in all the politics. Let's go back into the Scripture here. Let's go to verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, I just want to mention one more time. In Portland, you have this, these patriots of prayer. That's what they call themselves. They go into the city to have a small quiet, peaceful protest, and all of a sudden, these left-wingers come along, we're going to kill them, we're going to smash them, we're going to stone them, we're going to shoot them, and so on. And they call themselves the free ones. That's not what it is. That's, that's what the culture is teaching. Who are the free ones? Those who are in Christ. Those who don't repay evil for evil, but with good. Those who hold on to the marks of a Christian, the values of a Christian, and are genuine Christians, not just talking as a Christian, but walking as a Christian. To walk as a Christian and have your acts and your, and, and the, your way of life, your actions will speak so much more than if you just stand up here and preach. And really, ultimately, the verse that can confirm all of that is, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ willingly came, died on the cross. He willingly shed His blood that we may be saved, have life in Him. And so He too calls us to this life right here, this willing life that we have to, on our own, will to live. Be willing to be Christ-like. Be willing to live for Christ. Be willing to have the marks of a true Christian and the values of Christianity coming out from us. And the Scripture says here to be zealous for good works. Titus also says the same thing, to be zealous for good works. It says here, chapter 2, verses 14 who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and so, so on. Excuse me. The scripture calls us to live Christ-like. It calls us to, to show Christ in our life and in our actions. And it's practical in, in the sense that if someone insults us, we don't insult them back. We don't yell something back. If something's going haywire, we don't need to join in on it. If there's protests out there, whether we agree with them or not, we as Christians don't join into that violence. Because we don't repay evil, and we don't show evil or some bad actions in order to get our point across. Scripture doesn't call us for that. But Scripture does say to pray. Pray without ceasing, to be constant in prayer, to be zealous for good works. That's what Scripture calls us to do. And I hope and pray that we do not be like the culture in our time, but be transformed, as Scripture says, the renewal of our mind every day to be renewed, to be Christ-like, to be more Christ-like, 
to be more Christ-like. There's never a pinnacle that we reach and say, oh, this is enough. Never. We continue to grow and grow and grow and mature in our faith to be more and more and more like Christ. Amen? Amen. And that, if we do that, if we do this, it will set us apart big time from the culture. And there will come a point where you don't even need to say anything. Just by your actions and by your life, you'll be known that you're different. And that's a true testimony. That's a true testimony. Let's stand before God and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank and we praise you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for the kindness that you showed us, Lord, on Calvary. We thank and we praise you, Lord, that you've forgiven us of our sins. If we come to you and ask for forgiveness, we ask you, Lord, may you continue to purify our hearts and our minds that we may be more Christ-like, that we willingly come and serve Christ, willingly be Christ-like, willingly take the values and the marks of a true Christian and apply it in our lives and live it, Lord. Not just talk, but do, because Scripture says not to be just listeners of the Word but or hearers, but to be doers as well. In the name of Christ, may you strengthen us for this. May you strengthen each and every single heart in this, in this congregation that we may be more like you, Lord, that we may follow you all the days of our life and serve you willingly, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the culture may not change us, but I pray that your Scripture may continue to change us so that we may be set apart for your scripture. Your word, O oh Lord, will set us apart for holiness, Lord. And as it was heard earlier from the book of 1 Peter, to be holy for Christ, you are holy and you are able to separate us. Holy Spirit, you dwell in our hearts. You dwell in our lives. Continue to sanctify us by the truth and by the word. Sanctify our soul, mind, and spirit and body. Sanctify us, O Lord, for Christ. For we are the building blocks of the body in Christ. You are the head. You are the chief cornerstone. We are the members of the body, Lord. We are built upon you. We are your body connected to you through tissues and muscles and sinews, Lord. And we thank you for this, Lord. Now lead us and guide us and be with us, Lord, in all that we do, Lord. And we thank you for this, Lord, that we may be living practical Christian lives, Lord, that we may be the light to the world. And, and the point of all this is so that we may evangelize to those around us so that others may see that they too need Christ, Lord. And may your name be glorified and praised in this, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you for everything. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen.